Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. topic I call between obedience and reward. Between obedience and reward, or I will call it the gap between obedience and reward. One of the mystery or challenges of working with God is that there is always a gap between our obedience and the reward of obedience. Most of us instinctively or intuitively or by reading the scripture, we connect. We know that obedience always has reward, right? And I think the scripture is clear about that, that obedience has its reward. And most promises in the Bible really has a responsibility that is being given to us a lot of times, right? The challenge sometimes is that there is always a gap between that time of obedience and the time of reward. For example, there is a difference between, a, a lag between sowing and reaping, right? And the time you sow, there's a season for sowing, and there's a season for reaping what you have sown. And the Bible says, do not be deceived. For example, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, a man sows what he reaps, all right? But there is always a distance between when we sow and when we reap. And sometimes that really poses a great challenge for us as children of God. Because of that lag, because of that distance, sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes... We are not even able to connect it. In fact, sometimes it takes the Holy Spirit to help us to know that some of the blessings in our lives, they are as a result of some act of obedience we have done in the past. Hallelujah. It's, it's sometimes it's about, um, it's about vengeance. You know, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. You know, sometimes I read that. I'm angry because sometimes I don't know when the Lord is doing the vengeance. I want to be able to know, you know, maybe 10 years later, I'm not even there when you're doing the vengeance. I want to see so I can enjoy the vengeance of the Lord. <laughs> so, so the Lord says, vengeance is mine. Say, leave it to me. Leave it to me. Don't take laws into your hand. But there's always a lag. There's always a time, a distance. And that distance can be very, very, very challenging. And oftentimes, it's very difficult for us to manage that distance. And that's a very, very dangerous and trouble spot for many of us as believers. Because what we do during those times can actually jeopardize our ability to receive the reward. Just think about it. You've taken an act of obedience, you know, 
you've done what you're supposed to do. You're forgiving, for example. Maybe the Lord asks you to forgive. You're forgiving and you're expecting when you forgive, there's some a certain reward with that. You know, either the person will change, either something will happen, either something will get resolved, either things will just happen magically and everybody will just realize, you know, actually you were not the wrong person or you were wronged or something happened. And, you know, next day nothing happened, next week nothing happens. You know, the following month nothing happened, everybody moves on. It's as if it's business unusual, I mean, as usual. And you're like, what is the benefit of my obedience? What is the benefit? Sometimes people maybe sow, they give, they tithe, you know, they give money and they, are, you know, they expect magically something to happen the next week, you know, and the preacher says you will receive it a thousandfold and you start checking your bank account. <laughs> when is my thousandfold coming? You know, when am I going to receive my hundredfold, hundredfold raise or thirst? You know, what happened next week, next month, next year? Maybe you don't see those changes. And what happened? You begin to get discouraged sometimes. You begin to say, you know what? Was my obedience in vain? And that's challenges that we all have. I mean, have I really sought the Lord in vain? Have I really, you know, have I really done all these things without reward? David, at some point in his life, got to a place when he started to really doubt, you know, and doubt himself. You know, in fact, he looked at his life and he said, you know what, I've done all these things. I've done all these sacrifices. In fact, it looks like it's the evil people that is really doing well. It looks like I have really sought the Lord. I wake up in the morning. I'm worshiping. I go to the temple. I do what I need to do. And I'm still going through challenges. And he wrote this because he was going through challenges. I did what I was supposed to do. Saul was persecuting me. I didn't reply. I didn't repay him evil for evil. I had an opportunity to kill him. I didn't. I was a humble person, you know, but yet I am still the one that is a fugitive. I'm still the one running around. I'm still the one not having a place to live. I'm, I'm still the one everybody view as if I did something wrong. I'm still the one that is really trying to just hold on to my life. What have I done wrong? Have I done wrong by being obedient? And I've seen people who, you know, they live, they live a holy life. They give their life to the Lord. They've been serving him. They've never gone through uh, anything, any challenge, I mean, any sinful or whatever part, and they expect something to happen. And they're like, God, what am I, what is the result of all this? Uh, this is what the writer of Hebrews tried to address by encouraging us. Now, there's really no easy answer. There's really no, there's no two plus two equal four. It's not that easy. But I think it's giving us a perspective here that should encourage us, which is really what I want you to know. But it's also helping us to not allow the enemy to take advantage of that lag time. You know, those I do time is a very, very crucial time for the enemy. Those are times that the enemy can come in easily and bring discouragement. But the Bible says hope that is deferred makes the heart sick. All right? It is that deferred time that a lot of people just draw back. A lot of people get discouraged. A lot of people get, you know, angry. A lot of people get, you know, you know, get disillusioned. 
you know, some people even, you know, get angry and do something totally opposite. So the writer of Hebrews here says, do not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. And he followed up by saying, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is, prom what is promised. If you're reading the King James Version, it says you have need of patience. He used the word patience. You know, that a lot of time patience is needed. Now, we live in the age where patience is increasingly becoming a, an endangered species, right? Species, rather. Nobody wants to be patient anymore. Nobody wants to wait. Everything is quick. You know, you know even to a two-hour service has become a serious problem now. All right? You know, nobody want to do two-hour service. Everything is drive-through, right? A few days ago, we had to, we were, we were traveling with the family, and we, we wanted to get uh, something at McDonald's, and we just walked in there, and there's no drive-through. And my children are like, are you kidding me? <laughs> McDonald's without drive-through? How is that possible? Now, we already pulled in there, and we just had to park, and we got out of the car. Like, oh my God, we're getting out of the car. <laughs> I'm walking to Magnon. We didn't even know how to make order. We're just fumbling around. You know, where do we go to make order? We, we haven't done that in years. Because we just sit in our car and drive, you know, just drive, order the thing, and you just move on. That's our life. You know, everything is instant, right? We want everything. There's microwave. There is, I mean, it's, it's everything. Everything is just, you get it. But when it comes to serious, important things in life, they are not very quick. Uh, they are not very quick. When it comes to working with God, it is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It is, you know, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. When it comes to a lot of things that will produce greatness, it's a process of time. And that's why you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Verse 37 says, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous ones, one will live by faith. By my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. I thought that's, that's really, really powerful. So we're going to look at this and just see how the scripture, you know, tells us to deal with this conundrum. Hallelujah. Amen. Number one, he says, don't throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. You see, he's using the word confidence here, I believe, purposefully, so that he, we can relate with it. It's like, don't throw away your faith in God, your confidence in God. Don't throw it away. You know, the fact that something hasn't happened to you doesn't mean you should throw away your confidence in God. You know, don't allow your experience to define God for you. He said, don't throw away your confidence. Confidence means assurance. All right? Confidence means sureness. And confidence actually means expression of faith, which comes from our being buoyant, being joyous, being happy. You see, don't throw it away. Don't start acting like, you know, God is just beating you up. God is just, 
maltreating you. God is just giving you a run around. You're, you know, I'm just a prisoner of hope. You know, don't be a prisoner of hope. I'm coming to church because I have no choice than coming to church. No, God wants you to be excited about coming. That's confident. Don't throw away that confidence. Sometimes believers can give an impression that our God is a taskmaster. We can give that impression. We are all beat down. We are all heads down. We are all just looking gloom, looking doom, just because, you know, things haven't happened. So the Bible is saying here, no, 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 no. If you truly have confidence in God, if you truly have faith in God, you must demonstrate it by your confident living. Believers are people who have confidence. Now, they don't have confidence in flesh. There are two types of confidence. All right? Philippians tells us, for it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. No, believers are not people who put confidence in the flesh. Now, there's a lot of promotion of confidence in the flesh in the world. You know, there's a lot of being sure, being abrasive, you know, being just, uh, you know, braggadoish, you know, about life because... You know, we have confidence in ourselves, in our ability. That is not the life of a believer, all right? So the Bible says, if we are people of the Spirit, we know we boast in Christ Jesus, right? We don't put confidence in the flesh. We don't put confidence in our ability. We don't put confidence in our strength. You know, if we do that, obviously, half of the time, we will have no confidence, maybe more than half of the time right? Who have no confidence. So we are not people who put our confidence in the flesh. We don't put our confidence in God, in our ability to live right and act right and do everything perfect. We don't put our confidence in our ability to be out there and fight and do whatever we need to do. No, no, no. Believers' confidence is in God. Hallelujah. You know, now, let, let me give you an example of how this, is, how this applies. There's a scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Give us an example of how he wants us to live confidently as believers. He said, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see? That is what you should hold on to. You know, don't, 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 be, don't, don't, don't get messed up because of money issues. Now, be content. Be content in that context means be happy with what you have. You see, don't allow what you have, whether it's little or this, to determine your joy, your happiness, and your confidence. All right? And verse 6, look, I say, if you do that, if you believe that, so we say with confidence. Did you see what he's talking about? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So a believer, even though you might be a person of low estate, that doesn't beat you down. You know, you're not, you know, you're not beat down because maybe you don't have much. Maybe you don't have bank account, a fat bank account. You know, that's not, that doesn't determine your worth. 
you know? I used, to, I, used to, I used to have a roommate that, you know, every time we, you know, when I was, you know, several years ago, I would live with a roommate, and everything we talk about is the car people drive. Oh, my God, look at this guy. I mean, he would just go out, and I say, you know what? Just, just people's car is not their worth. You are not what you drive. Maybe you should remind your neighbor. You are not what you drive. Hallelujah. You're not, you're not what you drive. You're not what you wear. You know, don't feel so confident based on what you wear. Don't pick up. No, 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 no. He's saying your confidence should be in God. Your confidence, that's, you know, that's what, um, what's, her, what's his name? Uh, Esther's uncle. Mordecai. That's the confidence he had in God. I mean, these... This braggadoish guy who expected everybody to just bow down. He said, no, no, no. I only bow down for God. I mean, we are Jewish. You know, we might be slave here, but that doesn't mean we are nobody. You know, we might be an exile immigrant here. That doesn't mean we are just somebody that you can just step up. Now, I have God in me, so I am confident. And I'm not going to be walked down, walked upon, mistreated by somebody that is just full of himself. No, I'm not. Because I know God is with me. And what, look at what happened. <laughs> we knew God fought for him. Because of that single action, the entire nation was saved. Sometimes an act of confidence in God can really, we can bring God to your side. Because let me tell you, God wants to know, and I think it's something that God is really always wanting to differentiate. Are you confident in you, or are you confident in God? Are you able to say, the Lord is with me? I have no fear what any man can do for me. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of my boss. I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm not afraid. I, am, I cannot compromise my faith in God, my hope in God, simply because of somebody that thinks they have some temporary power. All right? When, uh, was he, Pilate told Jesus, I have the power to free you. Jesus, you know, he was questioning Jesus. He was just questioning him. And the guy wasn't responding. And he said, don't you know I have the power to free, free you? And Jesus said, nobody has any power <laughs> except what the Lord gave to them. Now, what he didn't know is he was talking to the person that has all power. <laughs> Just imagine the stupidity of <laughs> He's talking for the person that, to the person that has all power. He said, I have all the power to determine whether you live or die. Jesus said, man, let me tell you something about power. Nobody has power except that which God has given to them. So that confidence is how we should live. And regardless of where you are now, you know, live with confidence. Confidence in God attracts God. He attracts God. I mean, if you look at the stories of great men, people like Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all these in the fairy fire. What did they prove? Confidence in God. Public to say, look, our God, 
We're not going to bow. We're not. Our God is going to save us. Even if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow. <laughs> you know? Because we have confidence in God. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's not because we have connection. It's not because we know somebody. It's not because we know everybody here. You know, no, no, no. It's because we know the most important person that you must know. The most important person we must know is God. And we know him. And we have relationship with him. Praise the name of Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, things haven't worked out, you haven't gotten that job, you know, you know, the money is tight, you know, things you're trusting God, they haven't worked out, you know, you don't have a wife yet, you don't have a husband yet, you don't have whatever yet. Don't allow that to steal your confidence in life. Your confidence as a believer must be in God. And live, live confidently. Live as if you know the God that you serve. You will attract God when you live confidently. And confident is not boastful. You know, confident is not trying to prove. You know, confident people, they are just at peace. They are just at peace. They are just at rest. They are just happy with what God has blessed them with, right? They're happy. They're happy with God as what God has blessed them. And they are content. They are not fighting for anything. And they are not fighting to become like anybody. They are not overly conscious. You know, they don't go everywhere and look around and see what everybody's wearing and they look down. Oh, mine is so, oh my God. And they are avoiding everybody. They are avoiding everybody. And they are hiding. They don't want people to see them. That's lack of confidence. Confidence in God. Look at what he says. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. So as a child of God, go ahead and say confidently. And I want you to say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortars do to me? It's nothing. Hallelujah. So he says, do not throw away your confidence. Now he now says, you need to persevere. You need to learn perseverance. You need to learn how to wait on the Lord. That's what he means. You need to learn how to wait. You need to understand that every, uh, a reward of obedience sometimes takes time. All right? And at God's proper time, things will work out. At God's proper time. The Bible says, if we faint not, we will reap at his own time. So he said, you need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Now, perseverance is very critical. Because perseverance is not something that stands alone by itself. Because he's saying, persevere in doing the will of God. Sometimes when we talk about patience, when we talk about waiting, we tend to look at it as something that is so passive. You know, I just wait. No, it's using it in the context of when you are waiting, you are engaged. Hallelujah. 
In James chapter 1, the Bible says, Consider it pure joy, from verse 2. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces perseverance. So perseverance is part of the process. Our ability to walk with God requires fundamentally ability to wait on him. Because when you are working with God, you are working at his pace. You are working at his instance. You are waiting on him. You are working with him. And you are letting him dictate the tone in your life. And because you know he's in charge, of course you demonstrate that by living confidently, not by being wobbly, not by being doubtful, not by, you know, just being like a wave, tossed to and fro, you know, not that, you know, you are talking to your friends today, you are up, you are down, you are moody, you are unhappy, you know, you are just up and down. No, 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 no. You know, waiting on God means engaging him. And we're going to look at, you know, life of Abraham, how he practiced this. Praise the name of Jesus. So our perseverance is in doing the will of God. It's not in doing nothing. That means don't stop. If a farmer sows, for example, plants, you know, whether it's corn, whether it's uh, all kinds of anything you can plant, even if it's vegetables, now, yes, there is a time between when you plant and when you reap or when you, when, you, when, you, when you harvest. That time, you don't sit down doing nothing. In fact, you sit down, you wait, taking care of what you have sold, right? You know, you water it. You know, if it needs, you take care of it. You remove weed from around it. You know, sometimes that's why we don't get to harvest, you know, sometimes we don't get to really enjoy the harvest. Now, you put in all the work, you sown. Now, a good farmer knows that he goes beyond that. Yes, I have to nurture what I've sown, right? I have to water it every, you know, every day, every other day. I have to look at, you know, if it's not raining, I have to put, uh, you know, fertilizer. I have to remove any weed that is trying to choke what you have sown. I mean, you have to, you have to keep, yourself engage with your plants. Otherwise, you might lose everything you've done. And you don't want to find yourself in doing that. And that's why the Bible says, whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. The Bible says, let us not become weary in doing good. So don't become weary. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. I want you to see that if we do not give up. Can we just, can we open Galatians chapter, chapter 6 and read it? I believe 8 and 9. Can we read it together? Let's read it together. Let's go. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give. You see that if we do not give up. Some people give up along the line and they miss their harvest. They give up. And they give up because it's taking time. You know, I've been praying all this while, 
then I don't want to pray again. No, I've been, go, I've been trusting God all this while, then I don't want to trust again. You know, oh, yeah, let's come and pray. Oh, we've been doing all this prayer. What, what, what do we have to show? That's the enemy trying to deceive you. Oh, let's come to retreat. Oh, I've gone to retreat 10 times. What, what do I have to show? I mean, you say it so carelessly. You really, I mean, it's because you're not thinking deep. You actually have a lot to show. You know, that's why probably you are still saved. <clears throat> you have a lot to show. But sometimes you, you really try to, you know, because you are in a bad place. You know, a lot of time is a reflection of people being in a bad place. But it's important to know that you don't give up. All right? You must persevere in your doing good. And that's very, <clears throat> excuse me, that's very important. So look at what he says. You must persevere in doing the will of God so that you can receive what he has promised. So verse 37, he says, he will come in just a little while. And I believe the Lord wants me to tell some people here, the Lord will show up in just a little while. You know, it's just a little while. Just wait. You know, don't just, don't just say, you know what, I'm just about to call it quit. Sometimes people call it quit when they are closest to the miracle. How many people have just called it quit when they are so close? I remember one of my, uh, you know, father's friend told me a story. This happened many years ago. You know, it, it was an African story, so some of you might not be able to relate with it. So he was, he was taking an exam. He wanted to take an exam, and they got there. The exam was supposed to be nine or something. They got to the exam, and nobody was there. You know, that's why I said it's, it's only in Africa that will happen, <laughs> right? I mean, exam was supposed to start at 9. You said the examiner to be there, the papers, everything. No, nothing was there, and it was in a school. And they were all sitting down wondering what, what happened. I mean, are we in the wrong place? You know, and it was, there was no cell phone. And this is the venue of the exam. There was nobody, and he waited, 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 and maybe like an hour, an hour or something like that. And, he, and some of them just left. And sure enough, as soon as they left, the examiner showed up. <laughs> and the other people took an exam, and they told them later, oh, yeah, he actually left. He came after you left. And there was an exam to go into the university. And you get to take it once a year. So he had to wait a whole year. I mean, it's an African story. Now you see, right? <laughs> that can happen. I mean, there's laws. Why do we have lawyers in America? That's why we have lawyers everywhere coming there. They'll come and meet you to say you want to sue, right? <laughs> Doesn't happen like that. <laughs> but he was just telling the story how he missed this thing by a few minutes. Some things in life will miss like that. And it's always good to really ask God to really help us when we are in our weak moment. A lot of times there are weak moments. Weak moments. Look at the mother of Samuel. He will go to Shiloh, right? Every year. I don't know how many years she went there, but she persevered, right? She didn't stop going until one year. That was her year. That was her year. Just imagine she decided, you know what, I'm not going this year. I'm tired. I'm tired. This is not, you know, I've done this over and over again. If God was going to show, show up, he should have shown up. You know, you're trying to blackmail God. 
God can't be blackmailed. God is so emotionally stable. <laughs> it's, it's, not about, it's not about to freak out because so, so, so is mad. Oh, I better, I better sit up. Otherwise, I won't be God again. So, so, so is mad at me now. No, God is just God. He's cool. He's just where he is. And he said, you know what, even if you go, you are going to come back. I'm going to have to rescue you anyway. That's how... <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that our life? We are mad at him, we go, and we get dealt with mercilessly. What do we do? We now go, but God, I have come back. <laughs> Take me back. <laughs> and God is like, come back, don't worry, come back. There is room. There's room at a cross for you. There is room. Oh, God. God goes through a lot. Only God can be God. I think none of us can be, really. He's so stable. He's so sure. He's God. And that's God. So let us persevere. I want to encourage you. I don't know where you are. I believe the Lord put this for some people here. Where you are in your mind, in your emotion, in your feeling, you're tired, please don't give up. And don't shrink back. Look at what he says in verse, uh, if you go further now. He says, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. All right? Don't shrink back. Don't say, you know what, I'm going to scale back. You know? You know, I'm going to, and many of us, we, we use those words. I'm, I'm scaling back. You know, some of us, you know, I've, I've paid my dues. You know, let me just scale back. I've done everything that anybody needs to do. Let me just, this is my time to lay low. This is my time to shrink back. No, don't shrink back, especially because somehow you are disappointed in your heart. You feel nothing has happened. You feel like I don't have anything to show. He said, don't string back. All right? Because we do not belong to those who string back and are destroyed. I want us to say it. I do not belong to those who string back and are destroyed. <laughs> but to those who have faith and are saved. That's not your lot. That's not the family you belong to. That is not in your DNA. That's what he's saying. It's not in your DNA. You don't belong to people who just say, you know what, I'm just scaling back. I'm just not doing this anymore. I've done all this. I've done everything. I've had stories with people who tell me, you know, I have to I do this. I'll preach. You know, I'll preach on the street. I've done street evangelism. I've done all these. I've done all that. You know, so what are you doing now? Uh, you know, I, I, I've done all that. There's nothing to show for it. So uh, now I'm no longer doing it. Oh, I used to be on fire for God. I used to be so pumped up about prayer, about fasting. I used to be so pumped up about worship. I used to be so pumped up. Church open, I'm the first person there. Now what has happened to you now? You know, I've strung back. You know, those things, those zealous, it is, they, we even associate it with immaturity. Oh, you know, I'm now matured. I, I, I pray you will not be too matured for God. All right? you, won't, you won't graduate and say, oh, yeah, I don't need, 
you know, those, those days of being on fire, you know, just, you know, praying for hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, we are beyond that stage now, you know. I, I pray you won't get to that stage. That will not be your portion. I pray you will still maintain your fire. You maintain your confidence in God. You maintain your zeal, your passion for God. Even at old age, we will be in Jesus' name. But we now need to know how to manage, you know, this conundrum of, you know, waiting things not the way we thought they were. Because those, if we don't manage them, we get pierced. Our mind becomes poison. The enemy is waiting for that, and he comes in, and he cashes in. And, he, you know, and once he's there, he builds a stronghold. He begins to, you know, suggesting to you, direct your life, control your emotion, control your mood, you know, determine who you are, tells you how your life is nothing, how you are nobody, how you have nothing to show. You know, sometimes we believe all these things about ourselves. Nobody around us even believe it. But we have convinced ourselves, you know, because the, we have given the enemy a foothold. So I pray that this will minister to us in Jesus' name. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. We're going to just look at Romans chapter 4 and read from verse 18. And look at how Abraham dealt with his lag time. The distance the diff between his, his promise and his, I mean his obedience and receiving the promise. In Romans chapter 4, from verse 18. The Bible says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Now, so he was against all hope. I mean, God's promise to him, we know, came at a very old age, 75 years old. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. You know, he believed it, and he didn't believe it anymore. Then God told him again. I mean, if you read the story of Abraham, it's like our story. It wasn't, it wasn't that Abraham was like, in faith for those 25 years. No, he was down, up, down. You know, he believed it. He would be so pumped up. The service was great. God, great. God appeared. You know, you know, there's an encounter. God speaks to him. He's pumped up. Then a few years later, he's down. You know, and God came back again. And God is merciful. Amen. Against all hope, Abraham believed in hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, verse 19 says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He's facing that reality. My body is as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. So it's now 25 years. Now, between the time God showed up to him to say, you are going to become the fa a father of many nations, you are going to have a child. You're going to become a father of many nations. It was now 25 years that he was waiting for the promise. Wow. Even at some point, he said, maybe God didn't mean it literally. You know, maybe God didn't mean it was going to be too Sarah. Let's try this other woman. God said, no, I meant it literally. You know, you're going to have your own child. And that child is going to be through your wife, not through adultery. All right? God said, no, 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 it's going to be through your wife. So the Bible said, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. So he's facing those reality in his face, but he had the promise of God that is so contrary to what he's facing. Look at verse 20. Yet, 
I want you to say yet. Yes. How many of us need to say yet in our life? That yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. All right? He did not allow the harsh reality of life to compromise his confidence in God. And look at what he says. He was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. You know, we're back to worship again, right? Worship. He filled that time with worship. You know, every time Abraham had a crisis, which we all have crisis. You have crisis of faith, crisis of, uh, you know, things are not working out. You know, God has promised, God says it, you know, it's happening. And he, what did he do? He went back and worshiped. And that was the life of Abraham. He, he gave glory. So he filled that. So he wasn't just waiting and doing nothing. He was really waiting and worshiping. He was engaged. And verse 21 says, being fully persuaded that God, that God had the power to do what he has promised. That is, he reminded himself. He persuaded himself. He reminded himself over and over again to say, you know what? God has the power. That means he spent time in the word of God. Because most times when you face ash reality like that in life, you need the word of God to help you to refocus. So Abraham spent time in the word and he was able to refocus. You know, and he reminded himself, you know what? I might be facing this harsh reality. My body might be dead. My wife's womb might be dead. But I have a promise. And I have a promise from God who is able to do what, who has the power to do what he has promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what God saw and said, this guy is righteous. This guy is righteous. You see, our righteousness is our confidence in God. And it doesn't matter what the challenges you're having, your confidence in God is your proof that you really trust him. And I pray for you today. Let's bow down our heads. I pray for you today that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High God, will overshadow you. And we shatter every enemy's plot, every enemy's stronghold to discourage, to cause you to be disillusioned, to cause you to shrink back, to cause you to, to dial back, to weaken your faith, compromise your faith in God. I come against every of those plots against your faith life in the mighty name of Jesus. And I'm asking, Lord, there will be a release of spirit of faith. There will be a baptism of faith. There will be a reminder, a new persuasion about God, not about you, not about your problem, not about how, the, how great your challenge is, but about how great God is. So you will realize that God is able to do everything he has promised you. And so shall it be in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.